Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Certainty Talks. On this show, we talk about certainty, a topic that feels more important today than ever before, but all in all, always an important topic. We got my good friend and business partner in the Whale Club here, Mr. Paul Sparks. Um, and he's not only a very successful real estate investor, but also a certified certainty advisor. Now, we do this show because a wise man once asked a question. If you look at the last three years of your business by months and turn all the negative months to zero, what would happen to your bottom line? And that wise man is Dan Nicholson, a business partner of ours, of ours, uh, and author of Rigging the Game. And Paul and I are here to help you achieve financial certainty through real estate by rigging the game in your favor. I'm also on a mission to create 100 millionaires. The information here should help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. It will take consistent action. You will become one. And if you get value today out of this show, please share this episode right now. Um, you know, uh, put a comment below. That way we can all grow together. And as we're speaking, you're going to hear us speak a totally different language. That's okay. Um, keep the loop open. And especially today, <laughs> I've already seen a little bit of what Paul has to share. It might be even more confusing. Again, it's totally okay. If you're listening to this po on the podcast later on, I just highly recommend just jump on the YouTube, watch this episode particularly uh, on YouTube because the stuff that we're going to be sharing here are going to be uh, kind of insane because title for today is Brain Melting Math, right? So before we get into it, Paul, what do you got for a six-word update? Six-word update. Stop running a race against yourself. Hmm. That's got to mean something. Yeah, that's going to be the theme of what we're going to talk about today. I found out that I was running a race against myself. Um, <laughs> we're going to talk about that, and we're going to use some math today. So, yeah, like Steve said, if, if you get a chance to watch this on YouTube, I'm going to be showing. It's hard to show math and talk. We're going to try to talk through it so that if you're listening to this, you can still follow along. So don't worry. You can still listen, but uh, you're going to have your best chance to learn from watching it on YouTube. Absolutely. And for myself, my six-word update is who you learn from matters. So uh, I've, I'm really fortunate, you know, uh, Ren and I were partners in the sales leadership program and he flew in from Alabama to just spend the whole day in my office to run our quarterly meeting. So I had to sneak in out, out for an hour, but he's still in there with my team going through a quarterly strategic meeting. I was like, holy cow, the questions he asks in the quarterly strategic meeting were questions I've never asked <laughs> inside it. So it's really cool to see what a, a person that's capable of doing 100 deals a month, how they look at problems versus someone that's trying to do 10 deals a month consistently, right? So I think that's the first thing. Second thing is we're talking about doing, um, uh, for the people inside the Whale Club, only people inside the Whale Club, uh, we're doing a, a BYOB Elite program, which we're, we've got Dan Nicholson coming in to teach how to build a business treasury the way he teaches other people, including Fortune 500 companies how to do it. And so not to say Paul doesn't want to teach it, saying who you learn from matters, who better to teach it than the guy that works at Fortune 500 company. So with all that being said, running a race against yourself, what, let's jump into it, Paul. What does that mean? Well, first of all, I'm just going to piggyback on what you just said. Like you need the right toolbox. You know, it's like the, 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 the hammer, you're trying to hammer in screws and staples and like, hit through drywall and all this stuff. And then when you get the right tools, all of a sudden it becomes, you know, much easier. Mm -hmm. That's, that's what Ren's doing for you with your team. That's what Dan is doing for us with BYOB. And that's what we're doing on this show is trying to give you guys the tools that mm -hmm. we've learned 
that make the job so much easier Absolutely. because oftentimes we run a race against ourselves. We make it harder than it needs to be um, sort of like swimming up current. And uh, what we're going to talk about today is why you might be doing that. It's totally uh, normal. I was doing that. A lot of us small business owners are doing that, but how you can stop doing that and how you can um, use some of these tools to achieve your solvable problem. Well, before we get into like uh, the, the, the hows, let's talk about some examples. What is an example of you inside your business where you're using the same tool over and over again? I got an idea, but I'd love to hear what you got. Yeah. Well, maybe it, it makes sense to give a contrast because I could tell you what I'm doing now, but I think it would it would be helpful to tell like how I came to that realization. Um, and so let's look at some of the most successful, let's just say Fortune 500 companies mm -hmm. out there. When you look at, you know, Amazon, Microsoft, when you look at air like Airlines, for example, United Airlines, you get on a flight on United Airlines. What do they do when they get off the flight? Well, they try to get you to sign up for their credit card. Yeah, because well, no, not, not only when you get off, but even like as you're landing, we're five feet away from touching down. Oh, oh by the way, sign up for a credit card. Talk to uh, talk to one of the. Um, what's the right word? Flight attendants. You can't say the other word. Talk to one of the <laughs> flight attendants. Right. Well. And why is that? Because my, uh, because United Airlines is an, an airline, but they also have a treasury department. They have and behave like a bank. Same thing with auto manufacturers. You go into a buy a brand new Toyota Tundra, let's say. Mm -hmm. What's the first thing they're going to want to do? Check your credit. Let's help, let's help you finance that, yeah. Mr. Trang. Right. I, I don't know if you'd be going in to buy the, the uh, you know, the Toyota Tundra. You're more like a Tesla guy or a Porsche or something like that. But Prius. what's the first I'm a thing you're going to do? What's that? That's Prius. I'm a simple guy. Oh, you're a Prius guy. Well, I'm sure that they're going to still want to offer you to, um, you know, uh, finance that Prius. Oh, absolutely. Department stores do the same thing. Right. All a, a lot of these major Fortune 500 companies they have a treasury because they behave as their operating business, but they also behave like a bank. Right. So the real question today is why are, why are you not behaving like a real estate investing business and like a bank? Yeah. So that's what we want to talk about today. Well, I, and I'm thinking like, you know, if you only have one tool, right. Going back to that reference is, you know, like, there's this contrast, there's this us versus them mindset in the realtor versus wholesaling community. And if you see it, like a lot of the realtors hate wholesalers because they think like, oh, you're taking advantage of these homeowners, right? But they only have one tool, which is a listen to MLS, which does not serve a homeowner who needs to sell in 14 days. Mm -hmm. They only have one tool, right? right? And then you look at it as a wholesaler, well, for the last five years up until middle of last year, Cash offers all day worked. And then you realize, oh, market's evolving. And now you learned innovations, right? You learn creative. And so having more tools gives you more flexibility. And so if there's other ways for you to make money besides the active income, and there's a passive way to do it inside your business, 
why would you not look at additional options for you to grow your your, your income within your your company? Yeah, I mean, another way of saying that is like, would you rather have a table with two legs, three legs, or four legs? You know, it's like, well, in these case, the legs are the redundancy, you know, and part of why these these the best companies in the world they they don't just rely on like look at COVID. Look what COVID did to United Airlines. Do you think that if if they didn't have a treasury, they would not have been able to withstand that? They would have been crushed because revenue tanked and they had an extra, but, but fortunately they had another leg on their table, which is this treasury program. Yeah. And not just that, I mean, I, going back, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here. Right. But like, if you guys go to Starbucks, you know about the Starbucks app, you know how it automatically re-ups anytime you dip below $25. So at any given time, if you have the app, you probably have $25 with Starbucks. Are they just leaving that money in the bank? I would guess not. Right. Let's just say a million plus users with $25 in the, inside their Starbucks app, that's got to add up to a pretty penny. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's another great example. Starbucks is probably behaving like a bank too. No doubt, without, without doubt. Um, but here's, like, here's the problem. As small business owners, like we just, we don't have this tool in our toolbox. We don't know how to do this. We were never taught it. I was never taught it. Maybe you went and got some finance degree and you got an MBA. I, again, I, from what I've come to learn, even MBA programs don't teach you how to do this stuff. And so no. we're just operating with the, without this critical tool. And it was cool for a long time. Just like you were giving this example with uh, wholesaling, you could just literally make a cash offer. Uh, or, or I should say, send it out to any buyer and you could move it. You, you really get away with having one tool. And that's probably the case in most situations. But what we know is that as time goes on and uh, markets fluctuate and things happen, well, you don't want just one stool uh, or leg on your table. You want as many as you can get. Um and a lot of us, I think, are operating again, I knew I, I know this to be true about myself. so, maybe people that are listening to this can relate to this, but I was sort of always operating under like, if we were going to be profitable or if we were going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And what we want to do and the things that Steve and I are going to talk about, what we teach people how to do in the whale club, what we're going to talk a lot about today and over the next couple of weeks is how to shift that from uh, if to when we want to get a mechanism so that we can, we can see when we're going to hit uh, what we call the solvable problem, which is like taking all the things that you want in life, tangible and intangible and putting a dollar value to it. Right. So, and assigning a date to it. So saying like, Hey, in five years, 10 years, whatever that time frame is, this is the life that I want to live. I want a certain amount of money coming in. And that's how, you know, we think about the solvable problem. Yeah. And I mean, just put another way, like I would imagine at least 50%, if not 90% of the people listening, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And there was this like huge, like aha light bulb moments. Like, wait a minute, you're telling me there's a way I could replace my W2 passive income and never have to work again. And he called it the freedom number, right? Uh, this is the number where 
you make this much in passive income where you'll never have to work again. We're talking about the solvable problem. It's the same exact concept. Yeah, same thing. And, you know, you and I have been doing this now. You've been doing this much longer than me. I'm sure you have, you know, more experience with this. But at this point, we've got about 70 whales or so who have kind of come through. And, you know, it's really funny how like almost all of us are usually about the same solvable problem. It's yeah. like if I could just make somewhere between 10 and about $30,000 a month in passive income, I can live the life that I want to live. Right. Well, and that represents almost all of the people that are in our community. That's almost all within the whale club, but I would say um, a good chunk of people within collective genius as well. Cause like we've had these conversations, right? It's like, if you were making 250000 a month with no effort whatsoever, it's pretty hard to burn through a quarter million, right? I mean, like, if you're traveling, it's amazing. You know, depending on what part of the world you're going, like, I was in Vietnam. It was $4 to take an Uber for 45 minutes to go the other across the entire city, right? It was literally 40 cents to have something delivered to us from the store to the, to the hotel. So like a quarter million passive, right? I mean, it's a little bit more than 20,000, but you know, 20,000 months, 240. It's pretty hard to blow through that. You have to live a pretty extravagant lifestyle. So yeah, so then you're saying like, you know, 70% of the 70 people inside the whale club, most are between 10 and 30. There's a reason for that. Right. It's hard to blow through a quarter million a year. Yeah, it might start at 20, or it might start at 10. And then you realize, you know what, actually, it's probably closer to 20 to really live the life that I want. And then you might realize, actually, 30 would probably do it. And it would allow me to not only cover my core expenses, but it allows me to take all the trips, do all the things. You know, if, if my parents got sick, if, if I got sick, right, we could cover a lot of that stuff. You know, maybe it's that you want to give back to $10,000 a year to a charity or some cause that you're involved with. And again, what we found is that usually it's between 10 and 30. Mm -hmm. And it's all because we, a lot of us read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And so, you know, then, so, so then what do we do? We read this book and we're like, oh, right. 20K, 20K a month would do it. So what do we do? We go into real estate and we say, I'm going to start doing all this active stuff, flipping. Most of us start out in wholesaling. You're wholesaling, you're flipping, you're doing developments, maybe you're doing retail, you're doing some form of active mm -hmm. work. And you're like, what I'm going to do, here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take all this active income that I'm generating and I'm going to go use it to buy passive income. Right. And I'll just collect these rentals and I'll move the money from the active side to the passive side. And we're like, cool, this is going to work great. Mm -hmm. Sound familiar? Sounds very familiar. You might... Unless you were dumb and started as a realtor first, which is what I did. <laughs> yeah. But yes. Yeah. The realtor, the realtor brain's a real thing. Sorry, realtors out there. I, uh, we always call it realtor brain. Um, just kidding. But so, <laughs> but here's the problem. Uh, and I'm sure that if you're a real estate investing business owner, you probably are like, yeah, that's what I intended. And maybe you're getting some rentals, but maybe you don't know exactly where you're at. You don't know how close you are. You don't know whether you can take the foot off the gas. A lot of times you get caught in this trap of, well, I'm just going to take the active income that I earn and I'm going to put it back into the business and I'm going to scale, hire more people, grow, 
more deals, more offers, more leads. Hustle. Right? That's usually the answer. Hustle, 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 hustle culture. And you know, like right. the, the way I've put this recently was I felt like I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad and I became aware of the rat race. Oh, I don't want to be in a rat race. This is dumb. I'm going to leave the rat race and I get the business for myself. And then what do I do? I go to these events and I see these other people do more deals than me. It's like, well, I have to do more deals. And so what happens? I get caught up in a different rat race. This rat race has Lamborghinis in it, right? We're driving a Lamborghini in this rat race. But after a while, I was like, damn it. I'm actually still in the race. I actually didn't leave the race. It's just a different race. Not until we learn about these other principles. Well, and it's because we don't have a system. Yeah. So when, I, when we talk about like, what's the purpose of being a bank or like what we like to call the business treasury? What's the purpose of having that? It's so that you have a system to actually uh, get closer to what your number is. Let's say it's $20,000 a month. Well, what happens when you get revenue in your business? Again, we're not, it's not like we're, we, we have to make these decisions. So without the system to make these decisions in, oftentimes we, we default to more, which is more deals, more salespeople. Uh, if you're like me, it's the next program or like training that someone's going to teach me this new strategy on how we're going to yeah. make money, right? This next course, this next event, this yeah. next product. Yeah. And I think like we've talked about it, right? Like mentally, we are aware now, like, yeah, okay, I do need to be more focused. But then the problem happens is, yeah, we know these things. But then, like you just mentioned, okay, so we just closed this big deal. We brought in 20K in wholesale revenue. What do we do with it? And because we don't have an actual system or tool in place, it just defaults to going right back into the business. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what you're going to be sharing about how to look at it differently. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of us, myself included, we just have the wrong orientation. It's this orientation towards the salesperson bias, as we talk about on this show, which mm -hmm. is like, I'll just go sell more deals. More usually is the answer. If you don't have this system, that's what I found. I always thought the answer was just, I'm just going to go make more money. And if I make more active income, then I'll have more money to buy passive income. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't always work that way because our orientation is towards more. And so I'm going to introduce something that if you've read Rigging the Game, you probably know this. If you're in the Will Club, you, always, you already know this. But we're going to reframe our orientation away from more. And it's a, it's a simple phrase. It goes, we want to, we want to change our orientation to towards taking the least amount of risk with the least amount of effort so that we have the most amount of options. Because what happens is when we default to more, we end up taking on, you know, we, we want to pour money back into our business, which we know is a gamble in a lot of cases, right? Mm -hmm. We're hoping that we get that money back. Um, we're, it requires more effort because yeah. now we're growing our business and because now we're, we don't have as many resources, we have much less options. Yeah. Well, I'm going to show this 
with some math today. And we're going to jump into the math. Anything you want to add to that, Steve, before I jump well, into this? Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to, to share this with everybody. I mean, like for me, when we were going through this uh, last week, the biggest takeaway for me was, you know, just kind of preview for you guys what we're about to go through. It used to be, you know, mom would say like a dollar saves a dollar earned, right? She learned this from, you know, my friend Franklin saying, right? Which I was like, yeah, whatever, mom. I'll just make another dollar. Takeaway from this exercise was like, holy crap, a dollar saves $4 earned? I should actually start caring what my expenses are. So anyway. Uh, well, not only that, but it's just the orientation away from like more because more deals is harder. Right. So let, let's let's take a let's take a quick math example here. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you're if you're listening, I'm going to try to explain this. If you're following along, you can just see this spreadsheet here. So let's say maybe you're at ten thousand dollars a month already in passive income. You did fairly well before you left your job. You got your hands on a couple short term rentals or whatever. You know, you got long term rentals and let's say you're making ten thousand dollars a month in passive income and you need another 10 to hit your 20. Well, most of us, when we start out, we're not operating. Uh, I, I've, I've sort of had some conversations with some of the, you know, who I consider to be some of the top operators in the country. Most of these folks are operating between like 30 and 40 percent margins. There's certainly people who are doing much higher than that. There's also a lot of people who are doing a lot less than that. A lot more people. Probably so. But let's say that you're sort of building your business. You're in years one through five. And you're operating at a 25% profit margin. Well, you could, let's say you were spending, I was spending about $40,000 a month when I was going through this process. Um, we did about 30 deals, a little over $500,000 in revenue. Uh, it was 2021, 2022 ish, about the same result, roughly. And I was spending $40,000 a month. So I asked myself, is it easier to, Recover $10,000, so to go from 40 to 30. Well, what's the equivalent in revenue I need in order to put an extra $10,000 of profit in my month or uh, profit in my pocket at the end of the month? Well, if you're operating at a 25% profit margin, you need to bring in $40,000 of revenue to put $10,000 in your pocket. And if you're, let's say you're wholesaling, you know, that's probably two, maybe two and a half, maybe three deals, depending on the size of the deals that you do. Our average deal size is about 18 to 20 when we wholesale, yeah. right? So you could do two extra deals a month and get $40,000 in revenue. And that would put $10,000 in your pocket. You know, you play that out obviously over the year, that's a month. So over a year, it's $120,000 that you'd be recovering, which again, for a lot of us, that right there is enough to Live the life that you want pretty comfortably, 120K mm -hmm. a year. Or you can figure out how to make a half a million dollars more in your business. So you could figure out, I was making about a half a million dollars in my business. So I could either double what I was doing, or I could figure out how to save $10,000 and I would be the in the exact same spot. Yeah. Crazy when you look at it that way. It's a completely different perspective. So I could either find a way to do the same amount of revenue with 10,000 less spend per month, or I can find a way to bring in 40,000 in additional revenue without spending 10,000. And either way, I would end up with $120,000 more at the end of the year in my bank account. Exactly. Because a lot of us would way rather work harder 
to figure out how to add another 20, 30 deals per year to our mm -hmm. business. I mean, 20, 30 deals per year. How much time is that taking? You a know, a lot of effort, a lot of stress, a lot of you guys watch part of the disruption yesterday, a lot of Butterfinger blizzards, right? <laughs> coping. Well, not just that, but like, let's say that you're, you know, you're at three deals a month and you're trying to get to six. And so again, in order to go from three to six, you probably have to take on more risk, which means you have to spend more money on marketing. Mm -hmm. It's going to take, obviously it's going to take more of your time to add 30 deals, 25, 30 deals per year to your plate. You got to manage all that. You got to probably hire another salesperson or two and a lead manager, more marketing, make sure all this stuff's going well. So growing your business 20, you know, 20 to 30 deals per year, or you could figure out how to just recapture resources that aren't performing as well as they should be. Yep. And not a lot of this is talked about, at least I don't see often in uh, from other people's content, but like you don't just double your marketing, just double your revenue. Like as you increase spend, the ROI, the return on uh, investment, the return on time, the return on effort, all goes down as revenue increases. You don't stay at, oh, I run a 25% profitable business at 100,000 a month. Oh, then I'll be 25% at 200,000 a month. It's, ne it's never, <laughs> ever worked out that way. Yeah, because the more things that need to go right, the less likely it is to go right. Yeah. We talk about system reliability all the time. Um, and so, you know, back to our orientation, there's a lot of risk trying to go from three deals a month to six, trying to figure out how to add another half a million dollars to your business. If your mm -hmm. business is making a half a million dollars a year, is it easier to completely double the volume of your business or reduce your expenses? Right. And just to say, like, we're not, we're not saying don't ever try to double your business. That's not what we're saying here. All we're saying here is use the tool we're talking about here to figure out if you know what you're trying to do at the end of the day, your solvable problem, once you are crystal clear on your solvable problem, then when you're saying, should I try to double my business or should I do that? Now we have a tool in place to help you make that decision versus the default prior to learning this tool, which was, oh, I just got to do more deals. Well, it's all about it's all about just properly allocating the resources that we have, because, again, if we 80, 20, right, if you're spending um, one hundred thousand dollars a year in expenses, it's likely that there's also there's a 20 percent of it that's accounting for the 80 percent of the results. So mm -hmm. we're so I'm not you know, the question I get all the time is like, well, you know, Paul, I. I can't just go firing people and cutting out marketing and all this sort of stuff. And I couldn't agree more. We need an actual process to evaluate what expenses to cut, not saying just go out willy nilly cutting everything and anything, right? Because again, your business might break. So there's a process to this. And we're going to talk about that. The other thing I want to point so, out real quick before you continue is like, I used to always hear like, well, if I'm not making a three to one, a four to one, five to one uh, return on financial investment, it's not worth it. And that never made any sense to me. Right? It's like, I mean, you're making two to one. I put a dollar in and get two dollars out. What's wrong with this? And now that I understand this math, like, I see exactly what's wrong with that. 
Yeah. <laughs> would have been better well, off just keeping that dollar. <laughs> because, yeah, would you rather, if, if you knew that you could get a two to one return on this one thing, this one marketing channel, let's say, mm-hmm. it would, but, but you had this other marketing channel where you knew you could get a four to one return, yeah. which would you rather take? Well, four to one for sure. But in this regard, right? Like, yeah, I put a dollar in, I get $2 out, but then factor in what I actually profit on that $2 is actually 50 cents. That's so I put right. a dollar That's in, true. I actually get 50 cents back. Well, that sucks. Yeah. I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't want to play this game. Yeah. So that's the first thing we're going to do. And we actually have a, a little flow chart. Can you see this here? Yeah. Okay. So first thing we want to do is we want to calculate our solvable problem, what we call the required rate of return. So like how much return on your capital do you need in order to hit your goals in a certain timeline? We're going to cover that in a second. I'll come back to this. But the first thing that we need to do is review our spending and to and recover and reallocate wasted resources. So the first thing we need to do is go make a list. So this is how I would do this. I would say vendor, uh, core or non-core. And I would make a list. I would say my CRM. I would say my... Uh, salesperson, you know, um, phone printer. system, printer, right? You got all these, you know, of course, you're going to put your specific vendor here. But ask yourself, is this a core expense or a non-core expense? What I mean by that is like, do you absolutely need this to run your business? Would your business run if you didn't have a phone system? Would your business run if you didn't have a CRM? Probably not. Would your business run without direct mail? Yeah, it would. Because that's a bet you're making in marketing, right? Would your business run without Steve Trang sales training? 50-50. Probably so. You're 50-50. making a bet on Steve Trang sales training that it's going to pay off yeah. in uh, you know, revenue. That's what you're making when you make these bets. Mm-hmm. Steve's, I didn't tell him I was coming for him today. Oh, that's fine. It's a guarantee, so I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> He's got a really high rate of return on that. But the point is, make a list of all your vendors and make a list here of, our, is this a core expense or a non-core expense? Because here's the thing, is a lot of us, let's see, a lot of us are making half a million dollars in our business, let's say, but we're spending 600000 and we're losing $100,000 a year. And what we're saying is things like, you know, maybe you're out, you're outsourcing your bookkeeper, you're outsourcing all these virtual assistants, you're outsourcing all this stuff because you say, well, you know, my time is too valuable to spend on any of that stuff. So I'm just going to pay for all these services and hire this stuff out because you bought into some narrative that your time is not is worth more. But it's like, but that's not actually what the data says. Right. It actually shows that if you're losing money, you know, we have 2,080 work hour uh, work hours in a year, you're paying $48 an hour to work. And this is what what we see for a lot of entrepreneurs is like the money's coming in, but they're spending all this money on expenses and in the interest of scaling and buying that next product that's going to be the the strategy that's going to get them where they want to get to. And they're not, they're not accounting for the fact that 
They're spending money on things and they're actually paying to show up to work every day. Yeah. You know, like um, just going anecdotal evidence, right? Like we had a whale club member uh, last Wednesday. He's like, man, I did this exercise and it sucked. Like what? <laughs> what happened? He's like, well, I found out I'm spending $10,000 a month on landscaping. I didn't know I was spending that much on landscaping. And then another one was really small. I was like, yeah, apparently I'm spending, you know, it was like $70 a month on Sirius XM. I don't listen to Sirius XM. Why the hell do we pay that every month for Sirius XM? So these are kind of things you're going to find as we go through. And these are the things, like we're saying, like $10,000 a month, it's not, it's a complete coincidence. That's the number you're using. But for him to make up that 10000 a month that he's able to reduce, he had to make an extra 40000 a month in revenue to offset that $10,000. Yeah. And that's exactly right. And this is what we mean when we say we're running a race against ourselves. Yeah. Because we say that we want this financial freedom. We say that we want $20,000 a month in passive income. But we're not holding accountable every dollar that we, that we spend, that we send out. Because if it's not a core expense, it's an investment. We are taking this dollar and we are hoping that it comes back. And hopefully it has more money when it comes back than what we send it out in. Mm -hmm. um, well, it's the expected value. We have an expected value. But the one thing that sucks about expected value is that it's not guaranteed. Yeah, no, true. That's what we're going to talk about right now. Um, but it, it does all come back to the solvable problem. So like, let's say that you know you need... Uh, this is this is going to be a number I'm going to talk about here in a second. 23% return to hit your solvable problem. First question is, and if we go back to this flowchart, are any non-core expenses, any of the investments we're making inside of our business on marketing, on salespeople, hiring, whatever, if it's not core, it's an investment. On any of these non-core expenses, generating a return lower than what we need to hit our solvable problem. Because we're gonna introduce this concept called the base case, because uh, what we wanna find is, uh, a lot of us obviously are in real estate, and so we look at rental properties as a very reliable way to earn this passive income. And again, if you're saying, well, I wanna take, I wanna get $20,000 a month in passive income from rental properties. Well, your rental properties are your base case. It means that's where you're choosing to put your capital. And so anything that you get in a return below what you could get in rentals could be recaptured and reallocated to rentals or to an active income source that might get a higher rate of return. So the first thing we need to do is evaluate this. And of course, you've got to know what your number is. I'm going to show you again, kind of give you guys a glimpse on how we help whales do this, the folks in our community. I want to just uh, say that again, you know, um, not to interrupt you here, but just it's, it's so simple and so obvious when you hear it, but do you think about it, right? So if you're making 20% return on your rental properties, and you have other investments out there not yielding 20%, what we're recommending here is to take all that money back and allocate it into rental real estate, right? Now, maybe rental real estate is not your number one. Maybe that's not your most reliable. That's the, maybe rental real estate is not your highest reliable return. Well, then fine. Sell your rental properties. Take that money and put it over there. The point is 
you want to identify a reliable passive income. And once you got a reliable, that's your base case. And all other investments that are not meeting that need to be reallocated. That's right. Right. So exactly. So first of all, what can we recapture that's getting less than what we need? Because if you need a 23% return, you're not getting 23%. Well, you need to reallocate that somewhere else. Um, this is Steve sort of mentioned expected value. So one of the biases that a lot of us have, and I have this all the time, is thinking in all or nothing terms. Either we're going to make $50,000 on this flip or it's going to go completely belly up. Or we're going to get a, you know, five deals from this marketing channel or, or it's just not going to work. But that's not how, that's not how things work. <laughs> right? Um, no, that's not how it works at all. It, it, I don't know. Is that, is that the most common bias we all have as humans? But yeah, either it's going to work perfectly or it's going to be totally, a total failure and nothing else is possible. Well, and so this is how we we show folks how to how to calculate expected value. If you're a technical person, you probably heard of this in college or maybe even high school. I don't know, but let's or in take the properties. So let's say that you have a 10% chance with your rental properties of making a 10% return, and you have a 40% chance of making a 20% return, a 30% chance of 25%, and in some years you really knock it out of the park. You got a 20% chance it makes a 30% return. Of course, your probabilities have to all add up to 100 here. But what you can do is you can take these probabilities times the return, multiply them out, and then add them up. This becomes your expected return. So although I have these different probabilities of the, of the likely outcomes that I could see with my rental properties, the expected value is 23%, let's say. This is what it looks like in my case. So I know with a very high degree of certainty because I've accounted for it across these different probabilities. I probably should throw in a 5% chance that we lose 5%, but this is taking into account appreciation, loan pay down, depreciation, um, cash flow, cash flow, right? This is taking account all those things. And on average, I'm going to see about a 23% return on my rental properties because this is where I'm choosing to park my money as my base case. I'm evaluating everything in terms of, can I get, am I getting at least 23% return? Because if not, I'd be better off putting it in, put, putting that money into rentals. Yep. And, and go back, right? I mean, we've said the barbells a lot of time, but just this goes, it goes right back to the barbell. Either the money needs to be allocated into the reliable side or the asymmetric risk where you have a lot more upside and very little downside. And so we're right now we're talking about base case here this is the reliable real estate and you know the 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 term has been you know passive income rental uh, passive rental income right paul and i our intention is to change it to reliable income right so just another way to look at this yeah exactly so if your downshift or the reliable side of your barbell is is rental properties let's say of course i'm i there's nuances to this and this is I'm trying to simplify it so that we can have a, a you know conversation. Well, it's what works it. for you. Right. So let's say that, you know, again, I wouldn't put all of my money into rental properties because that would be a concentration risk, which again, we talk about in the BYOB program, but let's say you could, you could pretty reliably get 23% return. And this represents passive reliable income for you. Well, 
Then let's say you've got on the active side, if you're like me, you're doing developments, you're doing flips and you're doing wholesale. Well, you can run the same analysis. So you, you sort of assign probabilities. Developments I make a lot of money on. There's a 10% chance I'm gonna hit 200% return. I spend 100 grand, we make 200. But there's also a 20% chance that I only make 50%. And so you, again, I'm not gonna go through all this if you're, you just watch what I'm doing on the spreadsheet, but you can add this up. So the expected value for me on developments is more like 115%. Talk about a, a nice upside play. Yep. Flips, it goes down a little bit because there's actually a, a decent chance, 5% chance that we lose money on these deals. And there's, you know, there's a 15% chance essentially that I don't make any money or I lose money on a deal. Yep. I know that. Um, I know that feeling too. On average, when I put a hundred grand in, I'm getting about 50 grand out. That's my expected value. Average isn't the right way to say it. It's the expected value if I was to do that strategy. And then with wholesaling, because clarify, the it's profit, not back profit. Correct. Correct. With wholesaling, because I have a lot more overhead, you know, I've got to have the marketing, I've got to have the, the, the lead manager, the salesperson, you know, the, all the CRMs and the systems and all this sort of stuff. And the deals are smaller. So I've got to do more deals in order to hit my number. My percentage is more like 36%. And so these are my active income sources where I'm you know, choosing to put my, let's say my time and my money and I'm generating money here and putting it here. But as we go back here, right? Like how, how do we actually get there? What's the mechanism to take the cash that we're getting from these sources? And how do we know when to allocate that? And let me show you some more math. So if you know that you're getting 23% return from your rentals, and we can call that our base case, which means like our expected value is 23%. We're going to get that at a very high uh, probability. And we need $20,000 a month. That's our monthly solvable problem. So we got to take our 23% return and convert that to a monthly return, monthly rate. Here's the calculation. I'm going to just let you guys do that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Punch that in. You can copy this here and, and copy it into your spreadsheet. But what that tells me is we need $1.15 million in core capital, or you could call this equity inside of your rental properties. So if let's say uh, equals that divided by what, 25%? That represents, if you had 25% equity, roughly four and a half million dollars in assets under management. So a lot of us are saying like, well, how much real estate do I need to own in order to produce the cash flow that I need? And the answer is you need about four and a half million dollars. This would be about 25% equity. Let's say you were doing what with, you know, you wanted to be conservative. So you needed 40% equity. Uh, I don't know if I have this right. I might be doing this wrong. That doesn't look right to me. Point is, 
if you have $1.15 million in equity in your rental properties, that's going to produce about $20,000. Well, exactly $20,000 a month, as long as you're getting your 23% return. Yep. And this is what I mean by running a race against ourselves is we don't know these numbers. We might have the $20,000 a month, but now the question is like, okay, how do I get my hands on this type of capital? Now we're going to come back to that because I want to show you guys. Uh, I did a presentation a few years, uh, I guess it was a year and a half ago. And I, and I titled the presentation, How I Created a Business Treasury That Pays All of My Operating Expenses and Employee Salaries. I'm going to show you how you can figure that out. Because let's say that you want to cover your operating expenses in your business. And right now you're spending $10,000 a month in core expenses. So, you know, your core expenses are $10,000. You might be spending more than that, but ideally every bet you're making in your business, because you now have the right tools to evaluate these things, they're bringing you a return. So the goal is how do we get our core expenses covered? So let's say you're spending $10,000 a month and that's 120K a year. Well, if you, if you needed to produce $120,000 a year and you know that your base case is 23%, well, you could create an endowment of $120,000 a year in perpetuity if you had $521,000 inside of your real estate. So I look at this as like, okay, so you're telling me that if I can get my hands on this plus this, $1.671 million in capital, I could not only fund my personal solvable problem, but I could fund my business solvable problem forever without ever having to worry about whether I'm going to uh, need to make money in the business. Yep. That makes sense. Makes total sense. This is I, I I see why we call this brain melting math. It is a bit of a struggle, but I'm following. Yeah, you know Dan says this all the time. Like it's going to be really difficult to get financial freedom if you don't understand finance. You don't understand the time value of money and these different things, and that's hard for us entrepreneurs to hear because we hard, just. It's hard to receive. It's hard to process. It's unpleasant. Because we all have that. A lot of us have that salesperson bias. Yeah which is just like, let me go do more. Let me go figure out how to sell more deals. And when you take this approach, you start realizing that like, all I really need to do is figure out how to get closer to this number here. Mm -hmm. Right? This is the number that I need. Because we've already figured out how to allocate this to our base case. Anything above that that we receive from our active income goes to buying that down or goes to taking risk off the table, right? So is your solvable problem back to the spreadsheet? Let me kind of back up a little bit. So we figure out that, okay, in order to hit our solvable problem, we need to hit a 23% return because we're gonna use rental real estate to do that. We know that our rental real estate gets about 23% return. So we're gonna base it off of that. So we review our spending. Is there anything that we're doing that's getting us less than a 23% return? Right? Mm -hmm. And can we eliminate it? Because again, we showed how it's easier to 
to save $10,000, you can either send, save $10,000 a month or you could make another half a million dollars a year. Which one's easier? Not even close. And once we do that, uh, is our solvable problem less than or equal to our base case? So we know we can get 23% return. If it's less than that, then reduce risk. If it's not, then the question becomes, okay, so we're not getting a 23% return. So what can we do about that? And this is where brains are going to fully melt. The heat's about to get turned up a little bit here. <laughs> All right. Uh, where did I put this? Just a heads up, Paul. I know we're getting really deep in the weeds here. Uh, we're, we're 50 minutes into this. so That's right. A few more minutes, Steve. Don't worry. Um, I don't know if I have the right spreadsheet up. Maybe this is something we better save for the next time. Well, that's what I was kind of thinking because I see we're about halfway through all the sheets. No, those those sheets are from other stuff. Okay. Uh, just other notes I was then taking. Never mind. So then disregard what I said. <laughs> why don't I just state it like this? If we know, again, if I'm back here and I and I know that I need $1.67 million in capital. That's the problem that we're solving for. The question now becomes, okay, managing a treasury is not just about making more money. It's about how do we amplify our balance sheet and, and potentially create liabilities that could create this. Meaning, can we get HELOCs? Can we get loans? Can we get lines of credit? Can we use debt, essentially, to help us get there? So the answer isn't two to three more deals a month. It's how do I get this amount of capital? And again, what we show whales how to do is find and recapture this capital, understanding that like if you can get a HELOC at 3%, and we can take that money and then go get 23%. Well, we're, we're getting closer to our solvable problem without any extra effort. We're yeah. just recapturing and reallocating the resources that we already have. Yeah, you're taking the, your active income, you're taking your credibility, your performance, your track record. And if you know how to get to your solvable problem, if you know your solvable problem and you know what you can hit performance wise a rate of return and you know what you can borrow money at. And so long as one number is larger than the other, you can arbitrage it. You can actually grow your cash balances without having to do more deals. Just stay the that's same number right. of deals you're doing right now. And that's what we say. That's what we mean when we say amplify your balance sheet and really just understanding the fundamentals of the time value of money that a dollar today is worth more than a dollar tomorrow. So if I can borrow, or do certain things where I can get more cash on hand and you do that through your balance sheet, well, then we can take those resources and go get more capital to produce uh, and to get where we're trying to go faster. And so it, again, it just comes down to like, when I saw this, it was like, wait a second. The answer for me has always been make more money, more active income. Right. 
We're not saying that's a bad thing to make active income. You're going to need to generate some level of income, revenue somewhere, right? But it's, it starts becoming less about how do I do more deals as opposed to how do I, how do I find the least, you know, with the least amount of risk, least amount of effort, get the things that I want in my life. Um, that's what the business treasury is here to do is to give us systems and processes and tools to do this um, without chasing more and more and more. Yeah. So more time, more money, less effort, less risk. Right. And the best way to do that is to actually have a tool to help you figure out which is the best direction forward. So you've taken the time to figure out your solvable problem. You know, we need to go uh, pursue how to get closer to our solvable problem versus how to do more deals. And now we have a lens or a filter to evaluate what to do with our cash now. Yeah. It all starts. We like to say there's three steps. First is you got to get clarity on what you're actually trying to solve for because, and, and there's no shame or judgment here. It could be that you're just trying to build the biggest real estate business you possibly can. And you're willing to accept every trade off that comes with that. No judgment. Yeah, you want but to be, if you want to be the Kobe Bryant of real estate and you're just going to be all day, every day, breathing how to be the biggest operator there is, then great. Odds are you're probably not obsessed on being the biggest operator. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. But what I just showed you guys is that the majority of people, we just need about 20 grand. I mean, I say just like, that's a ton of money. 20 grand a month, like two, a quarter million dollars a year passively is a ton of money. Don't get me wrong. But what I'm saying is like most of us, we have about the same solvable problem. It's usually between 10 and 30. We take $20,000 $20, a month. First off, you could probably recapture 10 of that just by reducing and uh, eliminating a lot of waste, things that you're spending money on that you're not getting a return on. Recapture that. Again, you need the right toolbox to know about this. It's not just go start cutting, you know, cutting things and firing people to in an interest to recapture these resources because you got to do it the right way. Yeah, you got to evaluate these things. But once you have these tools, you start realizing that it's really more about how do I get the right amount of capital? How do I amplify my balance sheet? And get there with less risk and less effort because you tell me what's easier trying to go from three deals a month to six deals a month or figuring out how to just use the, the capital that's at your disposal to create that level of return. And you don't take on any more risk or any more effort. Actually, it's significantly easier. You might even be able to do less deals. That's what I did. It was actually pretty interesting. Um, right now, our wholesaling business, we're doing, uh, even though it's a little bit more challenging at the moment, I think we we did the same number of deals in Q1 of this year as last year. But along the way, we've slashed expenses. Slashed expenses. And things are a lot less stressful this year. It's interesting. 
right? So we were able to dial back expenses. Not to say we don't want to do more deals, because we do want to do more deals. We do want to increase revenue, this and that. But the fact that I lived this and just kind of like going through this exercise right now, I was like, huh, <laughs> this really hits home because <laughs> that's what happened to me. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, I, I hate to say it like this, but it's like, it's not our fault because we're, we were given this hard wiring yeah. towards more, right? We're, we're all wired towards comparison and all or nothing thinking. And a lot of us struggle with these things. And we like, just call it the salesperson bias, mm-hmm. you know? Again, we got into real estate because we wanted to create passive income in our life. And then fast forward however many years later, and it's, an, it's a very active business. And we have no system or mechanism to actually help us get closer to what we, we really want in life. Um, and that's what we do in the Whale Club is show folks how to take and get clear, uh, get clear on their solvable problem. What is that? It's more than just... Uh, I'm simplifying this tremendously. It's more than just a number, right? That's what we want to get to. That's the end result, but it is more than just a number. We give you the toolbox to make better decisions inside of your business. We call that the certainty operating system, how to make decisions on what to cut, you know, when to recapture resources, when to grow and scale. You know, there's a lot of operating systems that teach you how to run employees and meetings and, you know, systems and processes, but they don't, there's not a lot that of operating systems that help the person make better decisions. Right. So we teach you that. And then we teach these business treasury strategies so that you can get closer without chasing more and more and more. Yeah. So if you guys want to find out more about this, you know, go to realestatecertainty.com. And then we do have our, our wait list. If you guys are so interested, you know, there's step three inside realestatecertainty.com and also within the YouTube description here, right? If you guys came over and looked at the YouTube description, we do have the wait list. Uh, if you guys are interested, we're going to be spending quite a bit of time uh, in the next uh, uh, four or five weeks, whatever, diving into deeper into this for everyone inside the Whale Club. So um, we titled this Brain Melting Math. I don't think we let anyone down. I think that was a pretty fair description. Uh, and we're not yeah. done. There's still more, right? So uh, we, we can yeah. share more of this uh, next time as well. Well, next time we're going to talk about action steps. There you go. Here's some things that you can do. You know, we've been sort of priming the pump a little Mm -hmm. bit. Last week, we talked about what is a business treasury? Like, what is it from a high level? Today, we talked about, I wanted to sort of show everybody like why you should care about this. Mm -hmm. Because knowing the math, getting the numbers to speak uh, makes it a heck of a lot easier if you know what you're looking at. And then next week, we're going to tell you how you can start taking some action steps towards building one of these yourself. Yeah, that's huge. So uh, make sure you guys tune in next week to get the action steps. So awesome. Great show. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't know I was going to learn something today because we've already talked about this more than once. But I learned a lot today. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. So cool. So then we'll wrap up here. Uh, thank you guys all for watching. Thank you all for listening. And again, if you guys are listening, I highly encourage you guys to go back to the YouTube to watch the spreadsheets because it, it really helps cement these principles. So again, guys, thank you. And we will, we will see you guys for next week's Serenity Talks. Bye, everyone.